So again, welcome everyone to our session today on establishing institutional and inter-institutional structures for research and outreach. Um, we have some really exciting panelists here with us today um, that are going to discuss different um, structures that they have at their institutions or that exist inter-institutionally um, for collaboration, whether it's really for research or another purpose. So we have um, representatives here from the Active Schools Institute at the, that's based out of the University of Northern Colorado. Um, Brian Downhower will be specifically talking about that, but I know that there's other folks here that have been involved in the Active Schools Institute that might also contribute to the discussion. Um, we have um, from the University of New Mexico Research Pedagogy Lab, we have Karen Gaudreau and uh, Victoria Shriver that are going to be sharing with us and some of their grad students might be on as well that have been involved that might be able to um, add in a little bit of context. Um, we'll have Paul Wright joining us from the Teaching Personal Social Responsibility Alliance and speaking about the work that they do um, from an inter-institutional perspective. And then Kevin Richards um, from the University of Illinois Pedagogical Kinesiology Lab. Um, say that three times fast. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to my colleague, Emily, who's just going to kind of set the stage um, a little bit about why we believe that this is an important topic for us to be talking about. And then we'll jump straight into um, straight into hearing from our amazing panelists. Great. Thanks, Jamie. And thank you for everyone who's, who's here with us today and um, ready to both learn um, from our panelists. As we were brainstorming uh, different topics that we might find value in that could be value added to our community at the end of a really busy semester, uh, one of the things that was at their forefront was just how um, how much is going on in our field in terms of research, collaboration, and outreach. And uh, there are more than these five or six panelists who are doing exemplary work in our field. So we want to shout out to, to you who either are affiliated with or who are currently involved in um, inter or intra-institutional work that's making an impact in your communities and beyond. Uh, these folks that have agreed to participate as panelists to show um, how they've developed uh, their structure, um, their, some of their values, their processes, and some of their outcomes um, are ex examples of how the work we do doesn't work in a vacuum. Um, it really requires a lot of coordination um, and um, collaboration with people within our institution and within different community entities or nonprofits uh, that have uh, an impact or can make an impact on the lives of kids uh, and the communities. Um, it's, it's really interesting because each of these uh, groups also have a degree of mentoring, it seems, going on. And whether that's um, early, mid, or late career scholars or those who are emerging scholars within, uh, within our field. Um, so we're really excited to showcase a few examples here in uh, uh, tonight or today uh, that, that we think we can learn from and pick from um, that might be impacting research, um, community outreach, um, how in policy is being influenced or even developed. So uh, we're going to start off with uh, Brian Dauenhauer, who is the director of Active Schools Institute at uh, Northern Colorado. 
So Brian, you are going to go ahead and jump in, um, share with us about your the Institute, the work that you're doing, and uh, we're really excited to hear uh, about um, active schools. Awesome, thanks Emily. Let me go ahead and share my screen. I just got a couple of visuals that might help as we're talking through. Um, so hi everyone, I'm Brian Dauenhauer. I'm at the University of Northern Colorado, which is in Greeley, Colorado. Um, I arrived there in 2013, along with my colleague who's on the call, Jennifer Kraus. Um, and I'll start off just by giving a little bit of history of the Active Schools Institute and how it became an entity. Um, basically, going back to 2015, um, our university started a master's program in physical activity leadership. And in that same year, that was 2015, um, Russ Carson, who many of you know, arrived at University of Northern Colorado. And that's when we started developing a research lab, and it was just called the Active Schools Lab at the time. Um, and so you can see, and well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that was back in 2016 is when that lab officially got going. Um, we ended up getting uh, an external grant from the Colorado Health Foundation at that time, and that was kind of the kickstart for the whole thing. Um, over the years, our team has included quite a few different folks. Um, we have had up to five faculty members involved at any given time. And then we have students all the way from undergrads through postdocs involved in the lab. And so um, the picture that you currently see, we have two faculty members on full time, um, four PhD students, a master's student, and an undergraduate student, actually a sophomore. Um, and so basically, over the years, our team has conducted collaborative work here in Colorado and across the nation. Um, I'll show you sort of when we were building our, our institute. Let me see if I can get my cursor up here. Um, I'm not going to read all this, but this is the mission and objectives of the Active Schools Institute. Um, interdisciplinary research and collaboration is really at the core of what this group does. Um, it's, you know, built into the mission. And then being community engaged and applied, um, developing tools, resources, and professional development, and then also having learning experiences for our students are all sort of at the core. Um, from an institutional perspective, the university basically had us put together a charter, and the charter has things like this, your mission and objectives. It has very basic structure for the leadership of the institute. And then I would say the big thing is, is the university says, we will not provide any funding for this whatsoever, is basically their position. However, they will provide a space. Um, so we do have lab space in our main building, Gunter Hall, on campus. Um, but basically what they're trying to say is you are responsible for pursuing external funding to support the mission and vision of your institute. Um, so that's what's been happening since 2018. Um, we've had some pretty awesome partners over the years in this work. Um, here in Colorado, uh, Colorado Department of Education and the Health Foundation have been two big collaborators that we've worked with on a statewide level. Um, and then CDC through some of those pass-through funds that have come to Colorado over the years. And then our most recent um, partnership has been with the National Active Schools Movement, um, which, as you can guess from the name, aligns perfectly with what we're trying to do, school-based physical activity promotion. Um, in conjunction with this, there through Active Schools, there's a research alliance that's been formed. Um, it's actually been in existence for a really long time, but it just switched its name to the Active Schools Research Alliance. And this group has 14 different members at the moment from institutions across the country. 
And really the purpose of this group is to bring together folks who are interested in school physical activity promotion to collaborate on research, grants, um, tools and resources for the profession, um, just all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can see some of the folks that are currently involved in this project. Um, the only other thing that I would share is one of our most recent efforts has been to involve our graduates from UNC, um, even after they leave, to still be engaged. And so obviously some of our graduates have worked on the projects that are ongoing, and so it makes sense for them to continue to be involved. And then some of them, like Peter Stoker is at Kansas State University, he's actually starting his own active schools lab at that university now with the idea that hopefully it can eventually be an institute as well. And there could be this structure across the country for having these collaborative institutes um, and going on. I will pause there. Actually, the only other thing I'll say before I turn it over to one of our doc students to share really quick is collaboration is fun. Um, I want to collaborate on every project. Uh, I'm seeing some people shake their heads that I'm, we're collaborating with now. This is how I love to do the work. It's it's energizing. It makes me passionate about what we're doing. It brings in new perspectives. And yeah, collaboration has been a great experience for me and my professional work so far. Um, so I might just bring in Lisa Paulson. She's a third year doc student here at UNC to maybe share just a little bit of a student perspective with being involved. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Hi, everyone. Um, I too love collaboration and especially to be able to learn about whole, how all this works on a large scale project. Like you just can't really, you know, learn about this stuff in the classroom. And yeah, we learn about how to conduct research like one project at a time, but in terms of like the nuances and working with a team and especially an externally grant funded project and strategic partnerships and all of those things, like, you know, I know I wouldn't get any of that in, in the classroom per se. So it's been a really good experience to see, you know, not only in just one year, but over the course of these, these three years, and it's expanded beyond that, you know, and I hope that maybe I can stay involved in some of this work too, but um, I feel really, really lucky to be a part of having, you know, like developed the guidance documents and not only read the re the literature that's out there, but to help, you know, understand what are these evidence-based practices that we're trying to push forward and compiling what that looks like and systematic reviews and, and putting it all together. And then all of the dynamics that we have had on this team with such different strengths, but really good dynamic discussions has been really valuable and um, I feel really, really lucky to be a part of it and help it, hope it informs my future work, so. Brian, I wonder if I can jump in and ask, or Lisa or others who've been involved with Active Schools Institute, um, would you mind to share a little bit about maybe what like the day-to-day -day structures look like within the Institute, um, how people get onboarded, what are some of the expectations for um, work and engagement uh, in the Institute? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, we have a weekly lab meeting. Um, it's paired up with our doctoral seminar that we have each week as well. So it's two hours a week that we get together um, and share those two responsibilities together um, and interact and engage. Um, in terms of getting involved, so doc students, everyone who comes through our doc program is involved. And they're all on some kind of an assistantship, and there's hours built in for these lab meetings and some of the work that we do. Um, through the external, externally funded projects, we've also been able to financially support, you know, additionally through those um, to get folks involved. 
Um, I didn't mention this, but we have a master's of public health that is also, we've brought students in to do practicums and those sorts of experiences um, and directed studies. So there's sort of the educational piece is another way that, that people can get involved, um, even from outside of our programs. And then we just started a few years ago trying to get undergrads involved. And we've done that through a directed study type of mechanism as well, where they can get elective credits through a directed study to get involved in the lab. And I think that those types of mechanisms are really interesting and important to hear, especially because they probably vary across institution or different structures that we're going to hear a little bit about, um, but there also might be some similarities. So um, hearing about those structures are helpful because um, if we haven't thought about leveraging some existing uh, systems within our, our own institutions or across units, um, that's really helpful. Do folks have questions for Brian or Lisa or others who've been involved in Active Schools Institute there at Northern Colorado? If you do, chime into the chat or go ahead and raise your hand. I do have one more question that people ask. Think about it. Um, my question sort of is a big picture um, and anyone who's been involved in Active Schools, please jump in. But What's been most influential or impactful for you as a member of the Institute and whether that's a um, professional connection or professional product that has been produced as a result of the collaboration? I can actually jump in because I was part of the team and still am actually, even though I'm at the University of Hawaii, I still engage with um, my colleagues at the University of Northern Colorado and the Active Schools Institute. And I think the biggest piece for me has been able has been for us to be able to like leverage sort of the the structure itself for the work that we're doing. So, for example, um, our team received a grant to do a large scale evaluation um, that was based um, off of some legislation in Colorado um, uh, around PE policy and in our application, we were able to like cite the structure of the Active Schools Institute as a reason as to why we would be successful in conducting this evaluation. And so it's, you know, obviously, you know, to be able to say, here's our qualifications as individuals, but to say that we have a structure in place where we have undergraduate students and research or and graduate students who can be trained in, you know, research methods and data collection and analysis and even outreach from a professional development standpoint and things like that has been really helpful, I think, for us um, in being able to be successful in pursuing some of the opportunities that we've wanted from both a research and an outreach perspective. So I think that's something that I didn't really understand until it was happening was sort of this notion of, yes, we each have our own individual strengths and things, um, but then to also say, and we meet weekly for two hours and we have all of these people involved with all of these different skill sets, as Lisa mentioned, um, has been really beneficial um, in securing external funding and becoming partners with you know, school districts and different things and something Brian didn't mention, but there's a time and I think it is still ongoing that 
um, all of the members of the Active Schools Institute sat on district wellness committees, like within the Northern Colorado, Colorado region. And so we've used the structure, I think, in many different ways that have been beneficial, not only internally, but also externally from a support, um, you know, supporting the system um, standpoint. Jump in really quick to um, just to piggyback on what you said, Jamie, I think for me, because yes, like these, it's just the it's the discussions like I look forward to our meeting every week. It's my favorite part of the week. And we all get to get be together. And of course, for me, it's kind of bittersweet now, but because we have such good discussions, but not only are people have really different strengths, but people are involved in so many different pieces that where like I'm looking at the board behind me and there's kind of like these chicken scratch. Sorry, Brian, you wrote this, didn't you? But <laughs> these chicken scratch ideas on there that start out like just as ideas, but watching it all actually come to fruition and seeing this project through from this idea that was like maybe just an agenda item and now it's like published on the website and we're disseminating to schools and they're actually doing it. Um, I think that's been really, really impactful. The secret there is Brian just wrote all those notes up there, right? Just for the like, Zoom meeting, is that what that was? Rhonda, would you go ahead and chime in? That would be great, we'd love to hear from you. I'll un, there you go. There we go. Uh, yeah, wonderful presentation and certainly informative. I've been taking notes. I love things that's called, you know, ev evidence-based practices anytime. But what would you folks say is your crowning research project at this point? When you're first describing your accomplishments, and it sounds like you have many, is there one particular research project or article that has really kind of put you on the map and and you can refer back to it's just that um, really shows the collaboration process. Thank you. Wow, that's a harder question than you might think. I don't even know how to answer that. I'm looking at Jamie and Jen because it's like trying to pick your favorite child. I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the larger projects are the one that Jamie mentioned, the Colorado Physical Education Pilot that's looking at sort of policy work. I might just, the way I might answer that is, you know, sort of built into our mission is this translational application piece. And I think that that's really what our team values a lot in terms of not publications per se, but how does it actually get out into the field into K through 12 schools and get enacted? I think that's probably what I'm most proud about with our group and actually seeing the ideas come to fruition in practice and in action. Awesome, thanks so much, Brian. Um, I know Jen, you had um, unmuted for a second, but I might have you pause and wait. Um, we're gonna have a little bit of time after each group shares to do some more broad Q&A um, to all of our panelists. So um, I think we'll, at this time, thank Brian so much and Lisa um, for sharing. Um, about that work and kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we move on to the next group. Um, and for those that are presenting, if there's any like website links or resources or anything like that that you want to drop into the chat to just highlight um, some of the structures, some of the work of the structure, I think that that would be totally appropriate. Um, but next, I have the pleasure of introducing uh, Drs. Karen Gaudreau and Tori Shriver from the University of New Mexico. Um, they are 
one of them told me it was the research pedagogy lab. The other one said pedagogy research lab. So I wasn't sure. So they can maybe clarify uh, which comes first, the pedagogy or the research. Um, that's a philosophical question. Um, and I'll turn it over to them to kind of discuss um, their lab and what they do and who's involved and all of that good stuff. So welcome, welcome. And Thank you, Jamie. I'm going to apologize to the group in advance. I'm at a coffee shop, so I have my background uh, noise suppression on high. So, but if you hear anything, apologies. Um, trying to do too many things. Um, I'm Karen Goodrow, University of New Mexico, and joining me is my awesome, amazing, brilliant colleague, Dr. Tori Shiver, and it is the Pedagogy Research Laboratory and no rhyme or reason as to why that word goes first. Um, that's, I don't know, that's just what I called it. Um, really excited to, to talk with you all about a little bit about what we do and why we do it and why we love it so much. Um, I arrived here in the fall of 2018 and at that time there were no PhD students. There were like three master students um, there was essentially no graduate program, but there was a doctoral program uh, and a master's program on the books um, in the catalog. And I had always wanted to work with doctoral students um, and uh, asked my then chair, who was incredibly supportive, you know, is this something that I could have the capacity to do? And she, of course, said, talk to the PEAT faculty, which I did, and they were all supportive. And that was fall of 2018. In fall of 2019, the Pedagogy Research Lab was established by me with three doctoral students. So my then chair uh, allocated three fully funded TAs for me to do so. And without that, um, none of this would have happened um, because she believed in me and in the work that I had told her that I wanted to do. And it was myself um, and three doctoral students at the time. Fast forward to fall of 2023, and we now have Dr. Shiver, who uh, works with us and supports me in directing the lab. We have uh, matriculated uh, five PhD students. Uh, Dr. Chris Malore is at Adelphi University. Then Dr. Dennis Schulz is at uh, Cal State San Marcos. Um, Dr. Caitlin Olive was at Adelphi University. Um, Dr. Adriana Lucero, who if you're involved in uh, Shape America, she sits on the PE Council. And then Dr. Emily Mason, who is doing PEAT at um, Victoria College uh, in Texas. We currently have uh, seven PhD students. Um, and two master students that are involved in the lab, myself and Dr. Shiver. We meet Mondays um, from four until about 6.30 or seven, just depending on um, the agenda and how, uh, how much I obstruct forward movement through the agenda with my excessive talking um, and what is going on. Um, and uh, my uh, dear friend, Emily Jones, uh, knows very well the Sport Instruction Research Laboratory at the University of Georgia that we were blessed to experience. And really what I've created here is merely what Emily and I experienced at Georgia with Paul Shemp and Brian McCulloch and my friend Emily and some others. 
Um, we, meet, we met at Georgia, we went on Monday afternoons. Um, and so that's, uh, I'm doing, I'm modeling a lot after, as we all do in, in, in working with graduate students, what was done to us or for us. And, and, um, and so we have, uh, I established the lab to, you know, with my line of inquiry, again, similar to how Paul and Brian mentored us at Georgia. Um, the, the lab does work in teacher socialization and perceived mattering, PEAT in general. Um, and the um, and now we've added with the addition of Dr. Shriver, we have some uh, work around um, SEL and TPSR and out of school time programming and some of the things that Dr. Shriver is doing to get her research agenda off the ground here in Albuquerque. Um, and she brings a really important component with her expertise um, that's ex especially relevant um, given the context of our state and the public schools in Albuquerque in which we work. Um, but the lab was established, and I put a link in the chat, and if you have trouble opening it, let me know. Um, so before I started this, I was modeling it after what we did at, at Georgia, but um, I spent a lot of time um, the summer before I had my three doctoral students arrive talking to people who um, were, had done, you know, effective doctoral education, because I had the rare opportunity of essentially creating this thing from the ground up because I didn't walk into a place where um, I didn't have the luxury of having senior faculty who were doing this work and so I had to create it myself which is both a blessing and also very difficult right I didn't have anybody um, in-house that I either I had to like convince to do things differently um, but I also didn't have anyone to sort of help me or guide me. Um, I just had to do that, you know, virtually with my friends and, and my network. Um, and I talked to a lot of people about, you know, if you could do it and you, and you, you know, if you build your dream program, your dream lab. And I, and I embedded some of those things. A lot of what, um, Brian described with Active Schools Institute is very similar to how we function. We're very collaborative. Um, the, it, the purpose of the lab is to provide doctoral students Primarily with, you know, it's essentially, I explained to incoming students, it's essentially like student teaching only, but for research, right? So you get to take a piece of a research project and they get to take small bites of, get, try their hand at collecting data, try their hand at creating an interview guide or submitting an IRB or, or analyzing data. Um, and they can do it in a developmentally appropriate chunk um, before they have to do the dissertation, which is their project. Um, but I would say in addition to that, and I think I'm going to ask Dr. Shiver to talk a little bit after I shut up. Um, one of the things that the lab has evolved to become is far more than simply allowing them practical experience with research. I now see it as a way to do two very important things that I think set the University of New Mexico uh, apart. And that is number one, create our culture within our program. We start every meeting with gratitude. We go around the table and everybody says what they're grateful for that week. And sometimes it's something big and people have tears in their eyes. And other weeks, it's one of our new people said, you know, the DA, I'm thankful for the front office person because, you know, they got the copier working today. Um, and that really, especially when we have, we have international students, two students who've come from Africa, um, that creating that culture and that sense of belonging and ownership and care for one another and the collective is really critical to we believe to what we do and how we do it. And the second thing is, um, and, and anybody that knows me, this will not surprise you, 
Um, I'm very focused on socializing them into higher education and roles of being a PEAT faculty member beyond the technical aspects of developing curriculum and designing PEAT programming and working with students and how to put together a research project. But all of the unspoken things that, um, you know, maybe your doctoral advisor never told you um, or that nobody talks about, um, you know, I'm the girl that will talk about it. Um, we do that in the, in these meetings, things come up where students ask questions um, and and we're able to talk about, you know, like, you know, these are some of the unspoken cultural codes about, you know, applying for grant funding, or it can be something very mechanical. It can also be something like, well, you know, this is a really nuanced sort of delicate situation and we'll talk through that. And sometimes the agenda gets hijacked because I will spend time unpacking things and share my experiences with whatever the question was. And then Dr. Shiva will do the same. And the lab meetings, so they, and, and you know, we, we produce research. Um, I think your question, uh, Rhonda, was really difficult. When, she, when you presented your question about your, what's your Hallmark project, I thought, oh my God, I don't know how I would answer that because it is kind of like picking your favorite child. And then it got me to reflect like, it, I've realized just since Rhonda, you presented your question that producing research is merely one of the important outcomes, I think for us at UNM. Um, and with that, I think, um, you know, we've done some, I'll let Tori talk about some of the things that we've done in the last two years with her here um, and anything else that she wants to add at this point. Um, thanks so much, um, Tori. Take it away, friend. Yeah, yeah, I think, Tori, if you can jump in and just add, like, just from your context, because obviously this was established when you arrived at UNM. And so, like, from your perspective as someone who um you know came in and kind of what you've seen um and then once you share we'll see if we have any questions specific to your group and then we'll move on to our next panelist yeah that sounds good so as you said you know i came in a year and a half ago so karen had already really built this really strong program and it was exciting to immediately become a part of it and it took me a minute to adjust because i had I've been a part of collaborative groups, but this group, it was like, it is productive. It is or weekly. It is supportive. Like students are so eager. I had to up my game to meet their needs because they were like so research hungry, which was so refreshing. After being a part of this group, I'll say we are very research oriented and, and we do a lot in-house, but we collaborate very frequently as well. So I asked a student, Martin Vasquez, he was going to join, but he had an appointment come up, but you know, what was most prevalent to you. And it's something I've seen as well, where we're constantly collaborating with outside members. Um, he specifically shouted out Simonton, Washburn, Richards, and beyond, where we almost have like extended faculty because we're constantly working with other people and also introducing to scholars outside of our networks. So within the lab, we're like, well, we have a question and Karen and I don't have the expertise to answer that question. Who can we call upon and bring in? For example, Dr. Culp has been a regular reference for us as we're entering into you know, cultural discussions, that sort of thing. Um, in addition, we have a mentoring approach that we have implemented this year, which has been really powerful as evidenced by our students. Our fourth year uh, PhD students are essentially teaching our new students how everything works and leading them through the process. So we're serving as that secondary guide, whereas they're working one-on-one, shadowing each other in their classes, supporting one another through their teaching. And then also like Martin's example is he's teaching someone how to open code. So they're getting powerful experiences almost as faculty members early on 
uh, within our programs and then expanding that even further big picture. And teaching and service are very much a part of this just by nature of our work. So for example, uh, just this last Monday, we had a connection Karen had within our community come in and request that we support him and a group with establishing a day for adapted students to gather and be active and, and learn about next steps and ways they can be supported within our Albuquerque public school system. So we're becoming more established and well-known in the community and having requests in terms of support from local health and physical education experts. I'll leave it at that. I think that was a good summary. We want to open it up if there are questions for Dr. Goodrow and Dr. Shiver about their work at University of New Mexico. If you don't have any right now, drop them in the chat um, and or save them for a little bit later. Um, we have had two outstanding examples that have different structures. Um, different formalities, but really working towards a common goal, which is really neat, is advancing uh, collaborative practices um, and integrating efforts to to really move and um, enhance what we know as a field. Um, and it's interesting, you know, Tori shouted out or um, all of these different scholars who are continuing to to work with and support. I think that there is um, it's really interesting that um, how close and how close of a network we have within our field and there's connection points because of doctoral training or because of research interest and overlap um, or because of practice that we're doing in in and around our um, specific specialized areas um, this next uh, example we have uh, we have the pleasure of having dr paul wright who is at northern illinois university um, he's going to be sharing a bit of a different partnership. This is an outstanding um, alliance. So this is the TPSR Alliance. It's got a little bit of a different structure, some different goals and outcomes as they have established um, this very practice-oriented and practitioner translational um, uh, group to really move forward uh, the uh, research agenda and the practice and implementation of TPSR. So. Paul, would you take over and share with us about the TPSR Alliance, um, who's involved, what does it look like, and um, what have you learned about the um, by being part of the process? All right, great. Thanks so much, Emily, and uh, thanks everyone for uh, being who was involved in making the choices here and asking me to be here. First of all, let me say I have no team members with me, but take my word for it, I'm super collaborative. Um, I'm just going to be doing this by myself right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, I will talk about the TPSR Alliance uh, primarily, which is a different structure because it's it's across different universities and communities and sectors. Um, but then I, I will share a little bit about what I've created within my own institution at NIU as sort of a complement to that, because it's that that package, both sides of that coin have really um, allowed me to, to bring in a lot of different collaborators and foster a lot of different sorts of projects. Um, but yeah, let me start. So TPSR, the Teaching Personal and Social Responsibility Model, uh, was developed by Don Hellison, who was my mentor all through my graduate schooling in Chicago. And uh, I think in 2008 was the beginnings of 
Uh, him with the at the urging of Gloria Balagay, a sports psychologist that worked with us in Chicago, um, forming a community of practice. And, and that's right out of the gate, one of the differences of the TPSR Alliance. It's not based at any one institution. Uh, it's, it's really, it's based nowhere, but, but informally it's sort of headquartered right now at Northern Illinois University where I am. Uh, but the idea from the beginning was uh, there's so many people in the US and, and increasingly across the world using TPSR, interested in it, in it in practice, as well as researchers interested in it. And uh, Don, and then if you know if you knew him or know much about him, was very committed to practice and less passionate about formal research. Uh, he real what he was passionate about though was building bridges between research and practice. So that set the tone for the alliance from the very beginning. Was it was meant to be a space for academics and practitioners to come together without any hierarchy. Um, Nobody should feel, uh, you know, at a disadvantage because how much they do or don't publish. Um, if anything, you should feel a little bit squirrely if you don't work with kids. Um, it's fine if you publish and you get these grants, but we're here to talk about working with kids, um, addressing issues in communities, forming collaborations and partnerships. And if you can get grants and publish and do that, that's wonderful. You've got a lot to share, um, but there was no pecking order. Um, and so this really began small in Chicago. The first several years, uh, we would meet there because it was, you know, home base for for Don Hellison. Um, over the years, we've started to expand it. We have an in-person meeting once a year, which, you know, usually attracts people primarily from the university setting, because even though we want to balance research and practice uh, and have practical conversations, most uh, uh, YMCA sport directors and people that work in you know, community summer camps and teachers don't have the travel funds to go to a different city and stay for four or five days in a hotel and pay for the airfare. Um, so th that's something that we we started with, but COVID interestingly sort of pushed us to say, like a lot of other organizations, how can we flip to doing some more stuff online and virtually? And we went from a norm of getting 30 to 40 people together to the first time we offered this based at NIU as a summertime conference. We had over 233 people register for this free online conference from over 30 different countries. I think it was 33 different countries. Um, we knew about the reach of TPSR already in terms of you know the, the uptake by academics, of course, but also a lot of our connections and networks to community folks. Uh, but this was a real eye-opener for us, um, that if we took advantage of the opportunities we have to make it accessible, truly accessible to academics and practitioners, and we had really close to a 50-50 split between academic folks, you know, researchers and uh, uh, professors and grad students with PE teachers, community-based coaches, people that run youth development organizations. Um, really rich dialogue and exchange around the model with the main focus on working with kids. You know, whether you wear a researcher's hat or a practitioner's hat or alternate between the two, uh, that's the, the space that we really try to speak to. So it's been a great incubator for a lot of collaboration and networking over the years across those different sectors. Um, it's been the birthplace very organically of a lot of ideas that have turned into special issues and from Joe Bird to after Don Hellison passed, 
a lot of us were at the ready to coordinate and have a special issue of JTPE devoted to his life and legacy. Um, many of us have, you know, one-off collaborations. So many of us write together. Um, so we have this really, this living, breathing network that part of it relates to research, um, but it's, uh, that is not the primary mission. I'll just say a little bit about the flip side of this. This is a very Don Hellison organization. It is not organized. It, it is purely smoke and mirrors. It does not exist. It's not a 501c3. There's no membership fees. There's no, there's no nothing. Um, so for it to continue for 15 years and to have communications going out and whatnot, um, that's one of the things I've created at NIU, which is the Physical Activity and Life Skills Group, the PALS Group, which is institution-based, but it's it's we've created the infrastructure there to be kind of an engine for engaged scholarship, very similar to the sorts of things other folks have shared. Um, but we have the bandwidth and the infrastructure with that to informally serve as the headquarters for the TPSR Alliance, um, which, by the way, now that we were out of the COVID era, the pandemic officially, um, we still host at least a one an annual summit a one-day virtual free uh, free of charge conference, uh, but we're back to doing uh, in-person meetings too. Last year was in Regina, Canada, and this coming year is gonna be in Porto, Portugal. Um, we are from the PALS group able to help facilitate the coordination, the planning, pushing out of information, et cetera, for that. Um, but again, that's one of the activities we do at the PALS group, which is not exclusively devoted to TPSR, but revolves around social and emotional learning through physical activity, positive youth development, et cetera. And that in structure is more like the uh, things other folks have shared. Thank you. That's awesome, Paul. Thank you so much. I think one of the things that I'd be interested in is sort of um, the the opportunities that you feel that the TPSR Alliance has developed for um, you know, graduate students and or undergraduate students, because I think that obviously not everyone has graduate students. And I think that the, the practice and research um, piece is so important. There's a lot of people that try to do all of that, right, on their own. Um, mm -hmm. They're research, researching and also trying to have that practical application piece. And I'm just curious if, you know, because I know you've had several students that have sort of, that you've mentored through the structure of the alliance. It, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one, one of the nice things about the structure, again, it is really, we try to be as uh, democratic and inclusive as we can. You know, graduate students often when they go somewhere, they're tagging along, right? They're very sheepish and they're on the coattails of their advisor. Um, and they sort of defer to the, the, the you know, the professors, in order of rank and publications uh, to have the most to say. But we try to really create a very social climate. We don't do formal presentations. Um, we, we try to really have more interactive and uh, focus, uh, not focus group, uh, roundtable type formats. Um, instead of a keynote being some bigwig researcher, we use that spot for a practitioner or better yet, local youth to wherever the program is being uh, um, hosted. So that's that sets a tone, I think, that makes it very different for graduate students. So many of them, when they first come to one of our meetings, will comment on how different the tone is. 
because they can engage with and see faculty in a very different light. Um, I think we 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 do a really good job role modeling, not looking at practitioners and community members as others, but as partners. And we strive to be um, scholar practitioners, right? Practitioners that are engaged in practice. I always love this idea of Don's. We also need to recognize and and shine a light on scholar practitioners um, or practitioner scholars, whichever way, folks that are mainly engaged in practice, but they have real insights to share, real you know practical tacit knowledge that we can learn from, and we can all work together. Um, so I think that the grad students have really responded to that well, and I think we've done a really good job, many of us, in engaging our students in the practical work. So that when they graduate from our programs, they don't just know how to engage in various parts of a research project and be part of a big research machine. They also know how to talk to community members. They also know how to reach out and sit with folks in a local youth development program and get that, no, we, we don't have, we wouldn't have a great effect size and we don't have a setup for a control group. That's not what we do here. Um, working with the realities of practice and how to do research with practitioners, um, that takes a whole different level of exposure. And, and we get our graduate students involved in that from the beginning. So they get practice, they, they can do collaborations like that because they can relate and they know the reality and the difference between tightly designed research projects and running programs for kids. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, for time's sake, we are going to sort of move on to our next panelist, but if folks have, uh, questions for Paul. I know Paul can't stay the whole time, but maybe throw some things in the chat or um, other people that have been involved in the TPSR Alliance um, might be able to, to field some questions about that um, once we finish with our fourth pa panelist. Um, and so just so you know, I, I can stay. I was completely wrong about the time. So it turns out I've got all the time I need on the back end. Excellent. Well, you know, the man himself will be here uh, to answer your questions um, after we hear from our next panelist. So wonderful. Um, so our final panelist um, that's going to talk about their structure and kind of going back to more of an institutional um, structure is um, Kevin Richards from the University of Illinois Pedagogical Kinesiology Lab. So welcome, Kevin. You want to give us a little rundown around you know, what that is, what you guys do, who's involved, all of those um, fun things. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to uh, just kind of get started off here. And then um, uh, Wes is going to jump in uh, and talk about what it's been like coming into the lab um, from his perspective as a new faculty member. And one of our doctoral students is also going to chime in. Um, so uh, the, the, the pedagogical kinesiology lab, um, or uh, yeah, pedagogical kinesiology lab is what we call it now. It used to be called the, the qualitative uh, pedagogy lab, uh, but we have a broader portfolio now that encompasses more than qualitative research. Um, nevertheless, I think it's important to start with the roots and the, the history of what we're doing. Um, uh, in, in that, uh, you know, our lab has been around um, probably since the early 1980s, uh, 1990s. Uh, Kim Graber and Amy Woods um, have done a large part uh, in, in laying the foundation and, and setting the roots for the lab. Um, and when I got to the university in 2018, there was an existing structure, which was important because I wasn't coming into something completely without any guidance or support. Um, by that point, Kim and Amy were both mostly in administration, uh, but they were both really helpful uh, and amazing mentors as I kind of leaned into a new role as lab coordinator and director. 
Um, uh, it, it, but it took some growing into that for me. It was something that I was not prepared for. It was something that I was not experienced in. Um, you know, at, at Purdue, where I did my doctoral program, uh, there was a small group of us. Um, I, I don't know that I'd really call what we had a lab. It, it was more like a, a like a learning community, I guess. Um, but so to do something that, that felt a bit more organized and a bit more developed um, was not something that I was prepared to do. Uh, it, it took me a little while to kind of get into that and figure out how to how to organize, how to manage, how to coordinate people. Um, we have both undergraduate and graduate students um, who work in our lab. I feel very fortunate that in our department, um, a lot of our undergraduate students uh, take um, uh, Kin 385 credits or what we call them. They're basically independent study and research credits that are set up intentionally to get students working in research labs. Um, and, and it's kind of the part, part of the fabric or the culture of our department is that a, a large proportion of our students um, find that to be valuable and seek those opportunities. Um, and, and so I come into this environment and we had grad students and undergrad students, and I'm trying to figure out how to organize and, and work with people. Chad Killian was there at that time and probably remembers those days. Um, and, and it was a learning experience and we didn't always get it right, but little by little, I think we figured it out and we built capacity. Um, and, uh, and that got us to a point last year where we were in a position to make a, a faculty hire in uh, adapted physical education. And, and that led to us bringing in Wes Wilson. Um, along the same time that we brought in Wes, we also moved into a new physical lab space that allowed our whole group to be together in one area, um, including my, myself and Wes. Uh, with, with provisions for conference spaces. Um, there's even like a bathroom and uh, storage closets. Like we have a really nice physical setup and you know that goes a long way to have all of the people together. Um, we also did some branding. We're in the process still of doing some branding work. Um, it's gonna share my screen real quick. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if all the doctoral students have seen the, the finalized logo yet uh, on, on the left side of my screen at least. Um, because uh, this is really just hot off the press. We got the final version of it a few days ago. So we have uh, that logo uh, for the PKL Pedagogical Kinesiology Lab. Uh, and then we have a secondary uh, logo as well. Uh, so we've got some different options for branding. Uh, we outsourced that and worked with somebody who has experience in graphic design and development. Um, uh, she also is a, a former um, a member of our lab. Uh, so that helped a lot. She had a good idea of what the lab was about. Um, on the right side of the screen, um, there's some more information on, um, you know, we, we, Wes and I sat down and we had a lot of kind of really deep, difficult conversations about who are we and what are we trying to do? What does this mean? And so that led us to develop out a purpose, mission, and vision, um, <clears throat> along with uh, objectives. Uh, and so the way that we look at that is that the, the purpose and the mission, the purpose is kind of big picture. The, the mission is a bit more action focused. The vision is aspirational um, and the, the objectives are very mechanical. This is how we kind of put those things into practice. Um, and, and uh, you know, as Karen and others said, um, every lab has their kind of area that they focus on uh, that, that's tied kind of, uh, closely to you know, often the faculty member's expertise. Uh, and so Wes and I sat down and, and said, okay, so in three to four bullets, what do we do? Uh, and, and, and how can we say that in a way that's encompassing? Um, and, and so this was a, a, a difficult process for us. And then we engaged others. Uh, the doctoral students gave a lot of feedback, as did um, uh, Kim and Amy. 
Um, and, and it's put us in a position now where I really feel as if we're we're in a good physical space. We have we have a, a culture that that I think Nicolette's going to comment on briefly that that's going in a really positive direction, um, and, and we're well poised uh, to to, uh, to take on some some challenges and and to develop a, a robust research agenda. Um, so um, I'll uh, I'll pause uh, there. Um, and uh, Wes, did you just want to uh, uh, chime in for a couple of minutes? And then I saw uh, Young June put a link to our uh, lab website in the um, in the chat. It's it's still under development, um, uh, but it gives you an idea of, of how we're how we're trying to scope it out. the The old lab picture. So if you if if you do this, it's actually still on the website. If you look at the uh, if you Google like qualitative pedagogy pedagogy lab at the University of Illinois. You can still eventually get to the old lab website and it's like photos of kim and amy with like the old box computers from the 1980s um you know sitting there analyzing data it's, it's kind of it feels like archives um but uh but but wes i'll leave that with you then yeah thanks kevin uh so i'll just speak really briefly on what it's like to be a, a new faculty um coming into an already established lab. Uh, Kevin did a great job kind of describing his experiences coming in and he put a lot of effort over these last five years in, in creating, uh, modernizing uh, the lab far as uh, philosophy and, and how it works on a day-to-day -day basis. So I came in and it was wonderful because I didn't have to worry about uh, figuring out like how I needed to, um, you know, direct anything in the lab because I just got to focus on being a new employee at the university. Kevin did a, a lot of the heavy lifting as far as how we operated this semester. I uh, was understanding is as I get more experience uh, with the mechanics of this university that, you know, become a more of an, an even split of some of those efforts. Um, so that's been a really great. And I came from two different universities over the last five years that have not had any type of support or structure in place for this type of work. Um, and so it was really new um, for me to to see that. And I brought a couple of doc students with me from University of Utah, and they folded into the into the lab space really well as well. And so we're really grateful that we can um, not only contribute to what has been established, but also adding that additional value as far as adaptive physical education and 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 work with the disability communities. Um, and so uh, Kevin and I have constant conversations about, well, what's this going to look like as we start getting uh, adjusting to having a new faculty line and a sort of a new area of research in APE and how will that evolve over time. And those are conversations I'm really looking forward to have uh, because it's just going to show, um, hopefully add more and more value as, as we get more established. Uh, that's all I got though. Uh, thank, thank you so much, Wes. Um, and so we have uh, a few of our doctoral students who were able to join today. And and y'all uh, who presented from your other labs, you put way more thought into this than I did because uh, when Brian started presenting and and Lisa started talking, I was like, shoot, that's such a great idea. I need to make sure that one of our students uh, has an opportunity to speak if they're interested. And uh, Nicolette uh, was uh, was kind enough to jump at the opportunity at short notice. Um, and I gave her just a couple of things to, to think about. Um, and she'll just talk briefly about her perspectives on being a doctoral student in the pedagogical kinesiology lab. Thank you for acknowledging that I'm really going off the cuff here. Um, so, um, it's, I'm in my third year at, um, Illinois and I would say there's, um, a few things that I'm really grateful for here. Um, and one of them is just the well-rounded 
education that I feel like we all get that's also very um, tailored to our own goals. Uh, and so all of us walking in are mentored differently um, every semester um, and every year and our plans look different. Um, and I'm very thankful that um, Dr. Richards and Dr. Wilson give us opportunities that are tailored to our goals. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about collaboration and that's one thing that um, we're able to get here as well. Um, many of us serve on committees. Um, you know, I get to be on a committee with Paul Wright and um, so so grateful for that. And, um, you know, just I get to work with Dr. Shriver as well on projects. And I know Yan Jun, um, who's sitting right next to me, too scared to talk, um, also gets to, um, you know, serve in um, committees and get to work with, um, I think he works with Dr. Simonton um, on different projects um, and Gabrielle as well. And then also some of our students work on community-based projects as well. So it's really tailored to what our goals are. I um, mean, every semester, Dr. Richard says, you know, tell me your goals. And, um, you know, it, it's he's really providing us opportunities for what, what we're looking to get out of our education, um, which is really thankful, or I'm really thankful for. Um, I also really like the opportunity to um, mentorship uh, Dr. Richards mentioned our undergrad students. And so we get to work one-on-one -on -one mentoring those students through various research projects. Um, from the moment that I started here, I was put on a research project um, and I you know, followed that through publication. And um, I've got to experience every aspect of the research process, which is really um, exciting and really prepares me for what's next. But now I also get to mentor undergrad students through different pro projects as well. Um, and then we meet weekly um, in our lab and every other week we have our undergrads in those meetings or every third week, I'm sorry, I think. We get our undergrads in the, that those lab spaces and us doctoral students get to um, put on little seminars for them and kind of guide them through different processes. So um, it, it's kind of prepared us to be hopefully leaders in the field when we're done. And that's really exciting. Um, and as Dr. Richards mentioned, we have a new lab space where um, multiple of us are zooming in from the same place right now. And once we're done, we're going to play a quick ping pong match. And, um, you know, we we get to do physical activity with our doctoral students. And that's one thing that I'll say I've, I've noticed a, a really big change in is our lab has grown a lot since the time that I've been here. And we get to do a lot of um, work together with doctoral students. And it's really nice to be able to, I'm sure all of you know that it's really nice to be surrounded by people who are walking through the same thing that you are. A doctoral program is not easy. And being surrounded by people that do, um, do it along with you is is really great um, and i think we're all pretty thankful for that that's awesome that's all i got so Thank um oh, go ahead. Last, yeah just one last thing jamie i'm sorry uh if anybody's interested on in hearing a little bit more of a deep dive on the on the work that our lab does uh, risto had me on the the uh, playing with research and health and physical education podcast a couple weeks ago and um i, I did a, a quick uh, overview of of uh of the lab that probably gives us a, a gave a little more time for uh, deeper information than we could go into today. Awesome. Um, I one of the things that I saw sort of like a thread across all was 
this kind of, whether it's explicit in Karen's instance or um, just a consequence of the involvement is like the strong socialization aspect, obviously into the profession. And it even makes me think that, you know, we have a, um, we had an undergraduate student who um, did an independent study with us, as Brian mentioned, and who is now in our master's program. And I have written information um, that uh, she wrote me in a letter when I left UNC that she is going to pursue a PhD with me one day. So um, her involvement as an undergraduate student um, potentially unlocked that, right? Um, had she not been involved in our lab, she might not have seen that as a potential opportunity for her to pursue um, graduate studies and continue down sort of that pathway. And I also just wanted to mention that we do also do we do actually faculty versus graduate student um, competitions in the Active Schools Institute. And Lisa's comment about the graduate students winning is not true. Um, they only beat us one time and it was under suspicious circumstances. So the faculty at UNC Active Schools Institute is undefeated in my, um, in my tenure there at least. So I um, just wanted to state that for the record um, for those here and those that will be listening to the podcast for years to come. Um, so on that note, we are kind of sort of uh, getting towards the end and um, you know, I'm not seeing too many like uh, like formal questions sort of in the chat. If people want to ask one, um, feel free to raise your hand. One thing that I'm really interested in is sort of, is there potential that you see from your group that has yet to be unlocked? Like for those of you that talked, is there, obviously you're all doing great, amazing things, but are there like other things that you're like, one day, like, this is what I want this to look like. Um, and I, I know Brian has some sort of things in the works, so I might just start with him with that. But then if others want to chime in as well about, you know, unlocking further potential for your group beyond all the amazing things that you're already doing. Yeah, I somewhat alluded to it earlier, um, having graduates of our PhD program as they move off to different institutions, forming their own labs, their own centers, their own institutes that do similar work and, and can continue the collaboration and expand the collaboration. Karen, go ahead and jump in. Um, I would say a couple things. The first thing that comes to mind is here at UNM within our college, actually on our, on our campus, the Office of Vice President for Research has, there's a specific sort of uh, formalized process for a, a, a research group or an entity to become what's called a center, center or an institute. And it's a pretty rigorous, um, and Tori, I don't know if you're aware that this even exists yet, but we, what you initially start through your ADR in your college, your associate dean for research, and you put together a proposal of sorts for your, we would, I, I, this is something I've been wanting to do for a while, for the pedagogy research lab to be uh, considered through the provost office and, the, and, and OVPR as an institute or a center, which would ultimately would require us changing the name to like pedagogy research institute or something. And if formalized, then there are all sorts of things that roadblocks that are removed for funding um, and then specific funds in the provost's office and in OVPR that are available to centers and institutes that are affiliated with UNM. That's number one. Number two, um, when I hear about uh, Kevin talking about this beautiful physical space and the, the and they have these desks and they have a bathroom. Um, we barely, some days we have working internet and some days we don't. 
Um, our chairs are, that our students work in are broken. We have terrible facilities, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but we're super cute, right, Tori? Um, and um, so I would envision, I would love uh, to have a legitimate looking and functioning lab space. Um, our students don't have a window. They don't have functioning chairs and desks. Um, so there's that. Um, and then the third thing that I dream about doing is uh, working in the Southwest to do something that Emily Jones and I got to do at Georgia, which is uh, put on a works in progress uh, meeting, um, which um, in, you know, within, I don't know, I want to say that Paul's instructions to us, Emily, were something like people had to be within driving distance. I don't know what that means. I guess it depends on the person doing the driving, but um, to, to create a summit of sorts where scholars and their graduate students could come and share uh, lines of inquiry or projects uh, or ideas that are not yet finished, but in fact work, works in progress and um, use, you know, the collective uh, to troubleshoot different ideas, maybe design approaches um, and things like that. I know it was incredibly powerful for Emily and I, and I think um, as a scholar, it would be incredibly powerful beyond just a formal sort of research talk that we see at AERA or ISEP or SHAPE. So those three things, I think I would love for us at UNM in the future to sort of for those things to come to fruition. Awesome. Kevin or Paul want to chime in about unlocking future potential? Um, one thing I'll share, and again, I, I, I think I'm one of the a few people here that's not in R1. So uh, we, you know, we have similar structures and opportunities, you know, to establish research centers and, and things like that. And I've, I've toyed around with those ideas, but one thing that I've, I, I'm always, a, I, I've seen the difficulties you can have with institutional support because it comes with strings, right? If you're funded to be a center like that, it hinges on a certain level of productivity. It, it hinges, it's their investment is based on, it's just that it's an investment that you're gonna bring in big external funding. We're in a field where access to external funding is, is of a certain scale and it's not the same as folks in physics and uh, public health, et cetera. Um, so one thing I've been trying to cultivate at NIU and I've been really fortunate because we've got a, a really, um, we've had some very generous donations made to our department uh, that sort of gave me a foothold to start this, but working with the foundation side, because those funds don't get rolled back every year. Those funds are really separate from the university budget. And if the stuff you do has the immediate obvious appeal that everything people here do, having that as a complement or an alternative can be really worth taking a look at. Because if you have a few donors that are really invested in supporting what you do, um, those monies are, are a lot more flexible and you can build for sustainability. It's small scale, but I've been able to leverage some of that to the point where now we can take on contract work. And instead of going to the university account, it goes to a foundation account that we have. No, we're, we're still not operating in the black, but we actually have a structure that could allow us to get there. So thinking of long-term sustainability for a center or an institute, um, I, I think that's something that many of us haven't been trained to do or very close to, but it's it's a really good strategy to consider. And depending on your environment, you know, and 
and and what you've got going it it may or may not make sense for you but but for me in my environment because we have such appeal in terms of the social relevance the obvious appeal given the communities we work with and the hands-on nature of it um it's a great way to get um you know donors and foundation folks interested absolutely those are really great points kevin how about you i know you wanted to chime in as well yeah so just a, a couple of things real quick um you know, I, I, I think in terms of reflections on on where we go next, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that 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 is a limitation of mine is that I, I I am not always really great at developing and establishing community connections and partnerships. It's something that I've had to be intentional about and work on um, uh, throughout my career. Uh, and, and because of that, we, we don't have as robust of community university collaborations with uh, the University of Illinois as I wish we would. Um, that's something that I've been cognizant of and that, that I've taken some strides uh, to, to work towards. And, and Wes and I are working on that, trying to develop and establish some programming. Um, but, but that's something that, that I think uh, you know, I would target for the future uh, and potentially even in identifying um, a, a future colleague or a, a future hire that we could bring into the university uh, in, in targeting somebody with community-based partnerships experience so that we have that piece of the puzzle um, uh, really intact. In the other thing that I would say maybe just uh, as a, a final point um, is that I think it's important to know, you know, Paul kind of alluded to this, you don't need to be, uh, in my opinion, you don't need to be at an R1 to have some kind of a research group or, or, or a collaborative lab environment. Um, you know, folks, are, what, what, what is a lab? You know, a lab is, is really just a group of people. Whether or not you have a physical space is a separate question. You know, there are affordances presented by physical spaces. Karen, I'm not going to lie about that. There are, but there's still a lab without the physical space. So even if you don't have physical space, even if you don't have doctoral students, you can still have a lab. Um, you know, undergraduates uh, can be really amazing collaborators and um, and it might be in, in a lot of cases can be quite motivated to get involved in research. Um, so uh, I, I would just throw out there that, that, you know, don't let the individual structure of your environment dictate whether or not you can develop something that you could call a lab. You can. It's just a matter of if, that, if that's a priority for you. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Awesome. Well, we are coming towards the end of our time. I know there is a, a question in the chat that maybe we can address um, about particular foundation funds. I believe, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were talking about a university foundation, um, not necessarily an external foundation. So you were probably referring to the, you know, the Northern Illinois University Foundation. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, G generally, uh, all, every institution is going to have a separate foundation, and they're the ones that handle charitable giving, um, endowments, and things like that. And I believe it's pretty common, the structure we have, there's there's a clear separation that is separate from the university budget. The NIU Foundation is a separate entity from Northern Illinois University. They've got this synergistic relationship, but funds that go there and reside there have been given, you know, either in small, you know, uh, uh, fundraising drives or a major gift that turns into a professorship, et cetera, um, those live with the foundation and have a lot more flexibility. So that's exactly what I was referring to. Yeah. And then with partners on that side or the ability to set up a fund uh, within the foundation, then if you go and seek out additional support, 
that can feed into that fund, then it becomes a little bit more, you have more autonomy and more control over that. Absolutely. Yeah, great point. Well, again, we are kind of at the end. I laugh at my outline for today because I had uh, plenty of things to fill if we didn't have, but there was so much rich discussion and um, sharing from our various panelists that it looks like we didn't need that. So um, thank you again to all the panelists and the guests that joined the panelists to share kind of about their experiences. Obviously, we know that there's like many other <laughs> structures and many of you on this call probably have your own structures within your own settings um, that we didn't um, get to today or weren't able to sort of share about. But I think these are the important conversations that we can have to kind of like spark some ideas. And, and maybe if you are, you know, I know some people that come to the Peak Collaborative are kind of, you know, lone wolves in their schools or their, their programs and they don't have a bunch of faculty. And so thinking about, can you connect with public health folks or, you know, other education people or maybe other, um, you know, institutions that are like, like yours within your state or across states um, to create these kinds of collaborative environments. And obviously, like, we'd be remiss to say that, like, the peak collaborative in some ways, right, is, is an interinstitutional structure um, that allows people to come together from across the country and outside of the United States as well um, to collaborate and discuss and share about some of the great things that we're doing in this field. So, um, so thank you again for everyone who attended today. Um, the recording will be available on the Playing With Research in Health and Physical Education podcast for those of you that want to listen back to it. Um, and we are going to be convening our next meeting in February. So February 1st is the first uh, Thursday of February. Um, so we'll be taking a little break for January so everyone can get uh, um, up and running for their new semester. Um, and then we will see you all again in 2024 um, at our next Peak Collaborative. Um, we're going to stop the formal meeting now, but you are all welcome to hang out for another 15 minutes or so if you want to have some informal discussion. So thanks again for being here and we'll see you in the new year.